Welcome to Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm Sam Dunning, a digital marketing, sales, and business growth evangelist. Tune in and subscribe today as I'll be interviewing business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. You'll be learning their story, how digital marketing has helped them along the way, and exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your own business. And welcome back to a fresh episode of Sam's Business Growth Show. Delighted to be joined by Marcus Kalki today. Marcus is the founder over at Last Laughs Limited. He's a fractional chief revenue officer for a number of technology scale ups, helping them achieve controlled hypergrowth without giving away their shares or control to greedy investors. Marcus has been in sales for the past 35 years and over the past 17 years, he's helped his clients generate over 6.5 billion in additional sales. Marcus, a very warm welcome. How are you doing? Thanks for having me, Sam. No worries, man. So looking forward to chatting today. Um, and we're going to be talking all about how we can design who our customer isn't and what's crucial to know in both business and sales. But before we dive into that topic, sir, please give us a quick snapshot on yourself, your background and, um, and your business. So I've been in sales for 35 years. I've actually been um, an effective salesperson for about the last 17, 18 years. Um, the first 17 years was a bloodbath. I did what everybody else did, which is show up, vomit up a lot of product information, um, and then try and uh, beg for the business. I had problems talking about money. Um, I did a load of free consultancy. I wasted time on non-prospects. Then I spent time chasing people who were never going to buy, but I was too attached to the outcome. And then I came across an approach of, uh, for selling that completely transformed my life. I then did that for 17 years um, as a franchisee. And a month ago, I left to set up uh, with my wife a business called Laughs Last. And what we do is we go in and uh, instead of doing it from the sidelines, losing my hair, watching people ignore my advice, um, I've decided to uh, get stuck in and be the person responsible and accountable. So that's where I'm at at the moment. So I've worked with um, a number of technology scale-up businesses, and I'm helping them build their entire sales, marketing, customer success operation, align the lot, recruit the sales teams, recruit the managers, and work towards making myself redundant um, in time for us to exit. <laughs> Good on you, man. And uh, yeah, like like we said before the recording, glad things are going well um, and excited to, to chat today, Marcus. So a bit of an unusual topic. Um, why, why, first of all, why do we need to design who our customer is not? And, and why is that actually important? Well, if you look at the amount of time, money, resource that is spent on pursuing non-opportunities with non-prospects or non-ideal customers, if you're not clear about who they are and, more importantly, who they're not, then you'll spend an awful lot of time kissing frogs and getting slimy lips without many princes arriving. And so it's really important that you understand that what you say no to matters more than what you say yes to very often. And if you know who your ideal customer is, then it's very easy to disqualify everybody else. And if you want to grow fast, you have to learn to sacrifice, um, which means that you don't go after companies that are an 87, 63, or 25% fit. 
Um, you need to be disciplined and rigorous in building your funnel uh, and your sales pipeline with quality, qualified prospects. Um, there is a myth in sales and in sales management that more is better. If you just pile up more at the top, uh, you'll get more at the bottom. And this is driven by the utterly idiotic belief that selling is a numbers game. If you're crap at selling, absolutely it's a numbers game. And then you're playing the lottery with about the same odds. Um, if, on the other hand, you know who is not your customer, is not your ideal prospect, then you can disqualify them quickly. And then you can invest all of your time, money, resource, and effort on those people you should be pursuing. Got it. And there's so many ways I could take this conversation, Marcus, because it's such an interesting topic. Um, and we have talked about ICP, so ideal customer profiles on the show before, and um, plenty of different sales processes with all the guests we've had on. But that said, um, even if we are a seasoned veteran in business, in sales, or whatever we're doing, does that mean there's there's still a time where we should, because I've, I've been guilty of this many times, but I think a lead's come in, or I'm having a conversation with someone, I'm tempted because they've said they've had budget and I carry it on, even though they might not be the best fit for our services or our products, just because I'm a bit too tempted, perhaps about the, the company size. They might look like a nice big flashy logo. It might be that they've got a decent budget and I've perhaps carried on the conversation, even though in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, hmm, perhaps not the best fit. So does that mean we should perhaps write a list of all the customers or all the demographics role that do not fit up um, ideal customer profile before, even if we're, we're seasoned in sales or business. Is that something we should do right now? I'm going to get a lot of flack for this. And frankly, I don't care. I already have a friend. I don't need another one. Um, the, the reality is that a lot of people who are in sales behave in a way that I consider to be uh, unreasonable, unfair, immoral. Um, I don't believe that you should ever sell to someone who you cannot help. Um, and I believe that you should be brutally uh, honest about whether or not you are the best fit. Um, and you should be transparent. And interestingly enough, that transparency offers to people trusting you um, more than they uh, believe the puff that comes from your competition. So tell people where your deficiencies are. Tell people about the stuff that you are not good at. Um, so they can make an informed decision as to whether or not you're right for them. Equally, um, be clear that up front that you don't uh, work with everybody. And the way you need to work with your customers is as a partner. Uh, you need to partner with your prospect to co-develop a solution. You need to partner with your partners. And that means that you help each other to get better. You In this day and age, I think you need probably to partner with your competitors um, because it, certainly if you're selling technology, um, you, you're one tiny moving part in a great big machine. And if you're going in to sell your individual security product, you're one of 12 or 20 in the, IT, uh, in the security stack. Um, same thing if you're a CRM system or a, some form of marketing technology. You're just one moving part. And that's all part of the overall IT strategy, which is there to support the business get its needs met. Um, so you need to see where you fit and how you can bring the most value to your customer. Um, I think uh, too often people are driven by their target, uh, when in fact what we should be is driven by the customer.
and everything that we do should stem from the customer and you build out from there. Um, we're in business because of the customer, not in spite of them. They're not an inconvenience. Um, it, it is our responsibility to find customers that we can help and we can do our best work with. If we're going for a company that's a 62% fit, then chances are we're just waiting to be fired. And they're going to put demands on us in terms of product development that are non-core. Um, so all you're doing really is buying a problem for later. But that's typically driven by having a weak pipeline and being needy, desperate and skinned. Yeah, that was going to bring me on to my next point, really. So in that case, you mentioned um, selling's not a numbers game and we should look for prospects that are 100% fit rather than, like you say, a 60% or so fit. So does that mean we should focus on top of funnel activity? Um, so prospecting that's actually going to bring more more leads through the door rather than just going for anyone that's, that's giving a bite on our services and hoping they're eventually going to yeah. buy from us. Well, first of all, I think you need to put some heavy lifting into your thinking about who your customer is and why they need your help. Uh, and then go out and find people who fit that profile. Um, now, uh, unless you have a really very narrow niche, um, chances are there is plenty of choice out there. And if you do have a narrow niche, those are the people that you go after. Um, and uh, you should spend your time on top of the funnel. Um, but once you've got them into the top of the funnel, don't then be seduced by uh, the CRM asking you what's the predicted close date. Uh, and then you forget the important middle of the funnel, uh, where I see very many organizations fall foul um, mm. because they spend all of their energy and their time trying to get stuff at the top. And then they, they're fixated on closing the business instead of qualifying it to make sure that it's a good fit for both sides instead of making sure that you are co-developing the solution with the customer. Now, most of my work is B2B and it's big ticket. Um, so you, you may have a different view if you're very commodity orientated and it's just about you know um, uh, turnover of stock. Um, but with the kind of people that I work with, um, these are big complex enterprise sales. If they make the wrong decision, it can kill the business. Um, it can be career ending for the people who buy it. Um, so we have a responsibility, a duty to sell to people who we can help. And I, I've seen this in COVID. Um, so, so many salespeople and their terrible managers said, oh, well, don't go salesy on me. Um, you know, just um, you know, back off. Well, the reality is if I'm in pain now, I don't want you waiting six months to get in touch. Pick up the phone speak to living human beings and establish, is there a good fit? If there isn't, walk away. If there is, then work out how you can create um, a partnership with them so that you can advance the sale. But the problem is that most salespeople in their funnel, it, their, their funnel looks like an old pair of granny knickers. It's wide at the top, <laughs> wide and baggy in the middle and saggy in the mm. gusset. Um, and what it should look like is a thong. Um, so it needs to be wide at the top, in, uh, decreasingly narrow because you're disqualifying ruthlessly, uh, nurturing me, but ruthlessly. And all the good stuff is at the bottom third. And you're able then to have choice. Uh, I know you've had Benjamin on. Um, yeah. And um, you know the thing that we worked on there was how do you make sure that you have three to five opportunities for every deal that you need to get over the line? So for every pound, 
you got five pounds back in uh, the pipeline um, that's qualified and it's moving into the closable phase. Um, I, I remember working with one guy uh, who worked for Splunk over in Sweden and he came to me at 25% a quota. Within seven months, he was 200% a quota. Uh, within a year, he was hitting his annual target every 12 weeks. Wow. And okay. that was what happens when you, when you do what I've just suggested, you get that choice. And you never have to discount. You have to don't have to do fireside sales. You don't have to give away um, uh, extra services. You don't have to make concessions on your terms because you're never attached to the outcome of any one sale. Really interesting. And I love a couple of points you just brought up there, Marcus. So the first one being we have a duty to sell to people we can actually help. Um, so when I was in my younger days, which I've talked about on this show, I've talked about another podcast, I've sold things that I wasn't particularly passionate about, whether it was ink cartridge over, ink cartridges sorry, over the phone, whether it was data lists, all these different things, a bit of wheeling and dealing until I, until I found my passion, digital marketing sales, where we could actually help businesses grow. And it was something I, I, I actually enjoyed because I work with great people. I get to help businesses. And it's it's not only a product I like, but the, I like the outcomes, the end result for our customers. Now, I believe you're, you're exactly right. I believe those points are great. And what you went on to say about having, um, even if you thought a deal was going to land, you had, was it three to five extra on opportunities on top of that one? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, there are four metrics that I teach all of my clients to, and all of my salespeople um, to focus on. One is daily effective conversations. Um, so you you need to speak to a living, breathing human being. I don't care how you get there. Is it through cold calling? Is it through content? Is it through um, email outreach? Is it through referral? Who cares? But you want to speak to five to seven um, people who are in your sweet spot every day. If you do that in virtually every B2B business I've ever worked in, um, there's plenty of fat there uh, for you to be able to smash your number. The second thing you need to look at is the velocity with which opportunities are moving down the funnel. Um, because the reason the uh, pipeline tends to look like a pair of granny knickers and it bulges in the middle um, is because salespeople don't know how to disqualify and they don't know how to advance. And so you end up with a lot of maybes, hopa hopers, call me backs, send me some information, chase, 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 and you end up wasting a lot of time. And so with the sales teams that I'm building at the moment, um, you know, the, these are cardinal sins and we, we teach them how not ever get caught in that trap. Uh, the third metric is, do you have three to five times more in the funnel moving from qualified to closable? And I'll define those in a minute. And the fourth, um, and I think this is a really important metric, is the conversion rate of first qualified meeting to second qualified meeting. And there's a good reason for this, Sam, which is that seven out of eight first meeting was the second meeting on average. Now, that's an inordinate amount of effort, time, money, and waste. Now, when I define a suspect, that's anyone who still has a pulse and has breath in their lungs. Um, and they go into forecast at 0%. A prospect must be in your target market. Have a problem you can genuinely fix today. Not tomorrow, not next year, but today. You're speaking to a decision maker who is able and, more importantly, willing to invest the time, the money, the resources, and allow you access to the people in the state that you need to uh, get access to in order to qualify. Um, they're a decision maker is able and most importantly willing 
to make the decision to buy. And they're working towards a clearly defined timetable for not only breaking ground on the project, but for realizing the benefits and the outcomes that they, uh, they're paying you for. And um, that would go into forecast at 10% weighting. Now, for most people, they would say that's a fully qualified lead. It's ready to land. I wouldn't. That's, you know, that's 10%. Um, a um, qualified prospect um, is a prospect that meets those five conditions and at least 70% of the questions you need to have answered have been answered. And a closable prospect, and sorry, that goes in at 30%. Um, and then a closable prospect meets those five conditions and 100% uh, of your questions have been answered by the committee. So that's the cast of characters, the influencers, recommenders, uh, specifiers, users, technical buyers, financial buyers, uh, authority or power, uh, decision makers. And you've got, got all it. the answers that you need. And that goes in at 95. There's a lot of elements to that. That's interesting. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be shocked when they hear the 10% number of when um, when you're speaking yeah. to a, a suspect or a prospect. Well, and the, they... important thing, the important thing is the effect this has on forecasting accuracy and pipeline hygiene. Mm. Um, because you don't want your CRM full of crap. You don't want your forecast full of crap. And you want a, for, uh, you want a forecast that is spot on. When you do that, when, I, when you do what I've just suggested, your uh, forecasting accuracy will go from variances of 30 to 80% either way uh, to be, be uh, between 0.5 and 5% accuracy from actual. Now, when you, can, when you get that level of forecasting accuracy, you can now plan ahead. You can recruit knowing that you can guarantee that that level of business will come in and you can invest. So you can invest in new technology, you can invest in new hires, you can move, uh, you can uh, invest in better marketing instead of constantly saving for a rainy day. There's no point having cash come in and you can't use it because you're afraid that you're going to have a bad month or quarter. Yeah, and I guess on that that point, it probably puts you in a better mindset as well. So even if you're a, you're a small business and you're running your own sales or you've got a small sales team, if you're working to that kind of um, revenue prediction rate, that kind of close rate, then it's actually prompting you to do more marketing, to do more prospecting, to get more leads into your sales funnel because you don't think everything's going to come in. You're doing the, the top level activity to keep the to keep the leads flowing, to keep the qualifying stage going through that you're, you're not going to be dry on leads, right? Uh, absolutely. And the other thing is don't prospect eight hours a day every day. And if it's your job as an SDR, then fair enough. Mm. Um, but if you're a business owner or if you're a salesperson, put in 90 minutes to two hours a day. Um, put some uh, no pay time activity. So time when you can't speak to customers in developing interesting, valuable content. Um, because, I mean, the, in the last five years, the majority of my business has come from LinkedIn. And most sure. of it has either been referred or come through my content. Um, and it takes time to build that content, but the content has to be valuable. And this is where um, so many organizations and so many managers and salespeople get it wrong. They think there is activity matters. There has to be a certain level of activity, I grant you. But if the activity is to interrupt people with noise, um, fill up their inbox with spam, uh, and bother them with terrible phone calls, uh, trying desperately uh, to get them to see photos of your ugly baby in the form of a demo 
um, or send some information, um, then you're just wasting their time. If, if I pick up the phone to my clients, unless they are tied up in a meeting with a prospect, chances are they will pick up because they know that when they get a call from me, it's going to be valuable. Um, when I send stuff uh, on email, they open it, they read it, they digest it. Why? Because I've given thought as to why it will be of value to them. And more often than not, my content doesn't have any call to action. Um, but what I found really interesting is over 80% of my business in the last five years has come through my content from people who have never even so much as liked, commented, or shared my material. Yeah. And often, I, I often just, uh, the lurkers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, one, yeah. One, of my clients, one of my clients today, I engaged with 16 years ago for the first and last time. But he's been following my content ever since. Wow. Awesome, yeah. man. Well, I, I was just going to get onto that, actually, Marcus. So interesting. We're, we're similar, actually. Most of our inbound business comes through our SEO positioning and then closely followed by LinkedIn for, for leads and, and deals over the line. Now, you, you said creating content that's useful, that's valuable for, for your ideal customers. Can you give us any, any insights into what you're doing that's different to everyone else? Because I know you run a podcast. Is that, is that perhaps the main content you're putting out or is there different spins on it that have worked for you to enable you to use LinkedIn as your main tool to generate new business? Well, since I left Sandler, I had to take my video channel down because that was you know all pure play Chandler material. Um, but um, the what, what I do is I try and think as the customer. And if you've followed any of my stuff, um, I'll often uh, uh, simulate a conversation between a manager and a salesperson or a salesperson and a prospect uh, or a review meeting between a, a vendor and um, a customer. And it'll be a conversation that is intended to enter their world, the conversation they are already having. Um, and that's our job. It's the same thing when you uh, do your uh, elevator pitch or your 30-second commercial. You're trying to enter the conversation they're already having, so you meet the least amount of resistance. But you want to be able to get them to see their world through a different lens. Um, so in the same way that in comedy you have the setup and punch, um, you, you want to be able to uh, move them to a different place and help them see um, their reality through a different lens. That's very helpful. Uh, the podcasts have been incredible. Um, I generate a lot of business off that. Uh, the other thing that I've been very successful at and has worked very nicely for me is client recommendations. So I give people a framework with a series okay. of and I have them um, respond in their own words. So who are you and uh, um, which market do you serve? OK, uh, what initially caused you to contact me for help? What were your initial reservations? Um, what uh, results have you got? as uh, through working with me and this is pound shillings and pence it's percentages it's cost savings it's uh, speed to market it's growth whatever um what surprised you because again people i don't i don't want people to be surprised uh, when they're working with me necessarily um but uh, the fact that i come across as being a bit of a monster uh, and then it turns out that i'm not that's cool um <laughs> and then um would you recommend me and why 
And then I have them tell this story. And if you go to my LinkedIn uh, profile, there's 200 recommendations following that structure. So effectively, that's the story that a customer will go through in terms of handling their own objections, dealing with all this stuff and that customer journey. So my customers are doing all my work and my marketing for me. Um, so that's incredibly powerful. And in this day and age, if you're a salesperson, you're not building a personal brand online, in particular on LinkedIn, if you're in the B2B space, you're crazy. You know, HubSpot um, said that salespeople who have a strong social selling profile um, will outsell uh, people who don't by uh, 73%, something like that. And why wouldn't you put 15 to 30 minutes a day in um, when you get that kind of return? I, I'm a huge fan agree. of better on purpose. Get paid twice as much for work. Completely agree, um, especially on the social selling and social brand, personal brand aspect. Marcus, so diving a bit deeper into the recommendation side of things. So you said you've, you've worked out a framework that you send to each of your clients. How, how are you generating business through that? Is that because then you, you they put this together and I've you ask them to get in touch with people they know? Sign up just on the back of reading the um, No, when someone wants a, a reference, then I'll say, well, look at my LinkedIn profile. There's 200 testimonials gotcha. on there. If you want to contact them, uh, go ahead. But I'm never going to ask one of my clients to do my selling for me. Um, and sure. I refuse to give testimony, I get, refuse to give uh, references. Uh, why should I? Um, if I can't sell to them, uh, particularly in my previous role, then frankly, I have no business um, training them uh, to sell. Um, so uh, the, t the testimonials worked very nicely. And I literally did get 12 people sign up as clients over the years off the back of them. Um, and, the, you know, I, I think we, we need to remember that the way buyers buy has changed beyond all recognition. Back in the 1950s, you could turn up with your shiny shoes and ugly tie um, and you could bore them to death about shower rings and whatever else you peddled. Um, but customers have the sum total of human knowledge uh, at their fingertips on a keyboard and a mouse. Um, they're very, very savvy nowadays and they go through a very different buying journey i mean let me ask you this sam when was the last time you bought a product off the internet that had three stars or fewer i couldn't tell you i wouldn't have to my knowledge okay the the only reason i've ever heard so, uh, someone say that they have was because they had a strong personal recommendation from someone they trusted otherwise we all look for social proof and what's more, we look for the negative reviews. So again, one of the reasons why in my te uh, template is what was your initial point of resistance? Why did you, what reservations did you have? Because I want that out there. So people can say, you know, they had that reservation that I have, but they still went ahead and look at the result. Yeah, I mean, that's that's powerful, isn't it? Because that's actually yeah. ask, answering people's self-doubts that they usually have in the back of the mind that they wouldn't necessarily tell you when you're having a conversation with them. But it gets by that out there. anticipated regret and blame whenever. So it's like um, a um, premonition of buyer's remorse. And, um, mm. and so if you can neutralize that up front, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, but most people are afraid to um, open up uh, to their weaknesses and to their vulnerabilities. But vulnerability is a strength. And that's been one of the best lessons I learned over the last 20 years, that admitting you don't know, asking for help, 
um, struggling. They're not a personality defect. It's just a fact. I, I honestly don't know. And I'd be lying to you if I told you that I did. Would you like me to find out for you? Okay, and if I do, what happens then? So I can use, even I can use my own ignorance in order to qualify more deeply. Because if they want to know the information, but there's no good reason to do it, then I'll say, sounds like that would be a waste of my time. But if there is a good reason, and I know what the next step is, then I can move forward and I can advance the sale. But a lot of salespeople are afraid to do that. I'm not afraid of looking like an idiot. I do it every day and my children tell me I am. <laughs> I love it. And um, I'm recognizing a lot of these frameworks from Sandler Selling as, as I'm a big personal fan of, of books like You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike at a Seminar and yeah. uh, a lot of other Sandler content. Is that a framework you'd recommend that business owners and salespeople like get stuck into, Marcus? Or are there any other frameworks or processes that you would you'd recommend for people that want to get stuck into this, this pra yeah, practice? Yeah, I, I, I love Sandler. Uh, what I would say is don't be a zealot. Um, no framework is perfect and you need to modernize and you have to stay up to, uh, to date. So in addition to Sandler or Medpick or uh, Challenger, which are all great systems, I would look at people like Corporate Visions. I would definitely check out a guy called Simon Bowen and his uh, mo models method. Um, I mean, the, the, the way these guys think is breathtaking. Uh, I would definitely check out people like Tom Williams and his book, uh, Biocentered Selling. And um, I, one book I urge everyone to read is Bob Mester, M-O-E-S-T-A, Demand Side Sales. Um, but Bob is a product developer. He's got 5,000 products on the market to his name. Uh, he was trained, apprenticed by W. Edward Deming, um, who was the guy who turned Japan around and uh, you'll have heard his, of his work through um, Six Sigma and uh, Five Whys and those kind of things. And he's got the most refreshing approach uh, to selling. Uh, the guys from Corporate Visions, their understanding of storytelling and the time you tell a story. Um, so read widely, but read about marketing. Read uh, Mark Schaefer's book, Marketing Rebellion. Uh, read, read Matthew Sweezy's book. Uh, context Marketing Revolution, and go back to an old classic um, by Jack Trout and Al Reese called Marketing Warfare. Um, I mean, one of the things that most people don't know about David Sandler is his library was essentially mostly made up of marketing and psychology books. It wasn't about sales because actually he cracked the sales code pretty early and it works really well. But enterprise, you need to be um, more aligned with the customer. So uh, Brian Sullivan's book, uh, Sandler Enterprise Selling, is very good. Um, you, you, you know, the, the techniques and skills that I'm learning uh, to implement in uh, my role as chief revenue officer uh, around mapping uh, a territory and using visualization uh, to map out a territory, an account, an opportunity. Um, you know, you've got to stay up to date. And I, I think part of the problem with a lot of methodologies is that it's very easy to say this is the way to do it. I don't believe that's right. I think you need to be more flexible. Um, and, uh, you know, a methodology like Sandler or Medpick um, is a really good springboard. But you need to innovate and you've got to adapt to your customer. Got it. Look, Marcus, really appreciate you coming on. We've covered some great ground. Um, 
there's been some really good points in terms of why we need to, to prospect, why we need to have you know, three, five to seven daily conversations with our ideal customers and how to work out who's not our ideal customer and uh, basically not waste our time with that nonsense. So hopefully there's some sharp business lessons for everyone tuning in. Um, just to wrap things up and tee things off quite, quite nicely for the end of the show, Marcus, what kind of daily behaviours and mindset do we need to focus? Because what you said, it sounds great. But it's not always that easy, is it? Especially when you've had a bad day, you've had a bad week, and then you think, look, I need to have five to seven conversations with my idle customers. Um, I need to make these things happen. Perhaps my pipeline's not as strong as it should be. So what can we do to actually get motivated and make sure this is something we follow consistently? Um, first of all, spend time thinking as the customer. Go and speak to your existing best customers and find out why they buy from you, why they bought from you. Uh, Bob Master talks about this in Demand Side Sales. He said that people don't buy your product, they rent it. And they rent it for only so long as it's delivering the outcome that uh, they need from you. Um, so again, find out from them on a regular basis how their business is evolving. Uh, your customers are your best teachers. I've learned so much from my clients over the years uh, and through asking them what they need. Um, so get out of your own way. Get out of uh, being so uh, egocentric and don't think about your target. Think about how you can serve them best. Um, nothing gives me a greater thrill than my, my clients coming back to me years after I stopped working with them uh, saying, you, you know, you changed my life. I didn't. They did. Um, I, I, you know, I prodded them with a cattle prod along the way. Um, so learn humility, um, learn vulnerability, um, and do behavior. You, the only thing you can control is your behavior. So make sure that you've got a, a structure, a framework of good daily habits. Um, one of the habits I would urge everyone to do is reflect, you know, whether it's through journaling or lesson capture, and, you know, my, my view is a day without three brilliant lessons is a day wasted. And I can honestly say that in the last 17, 18 years, I haven't gone a day where I haven't had lessons. And then I turn those into content because I'm not a big fan. I, I, I'm not comfortable journaling. Uh, I find it, uh, it doesn't serve me well, but for many people it does. Um, so I turn my lessons into content, which has worked exceptionally well. So I end up learning the lesson more deeply. Uh, I share it with other people. They find value from it. And that builds my, uh, my personal brand as a seller. Great tip. Great tip for people struggling to, to cut a content. I do similar, actually. I use my iPhone notes app. So whenever things like that come into my mind, I make sure to jot them down. And that, that might be a day or two's content. I, I'll, I'll let you into a secret. When I first set up my son, the business, I intentionally went out to find out, uh, to attract people who are screwed up just like me. And that way I got paid to fix us both. Um, so go out and find people who are messed up just like you are and get and coach them. <laughs> Love it. Marcus, thanks very much. Um, if you could choose just one digital marketing channel for people to grow their businesses from, what would be your channel of choice, sir? Well, it has to be LinkedIn. Um, yeah, we, we've done... Um, anywhere from 500 to 720k a year off LinkedIn. Um, and it's a hobby. You know, I like writing. I like producing videos, love producing my content, my uh, podcast. Uh, but LinkedIn is the route to market. Um, the podcast has been the most uh, educational. 
Awesome choice. Awesome choice. Uh, Marcus, please do tell us a bit more about how people can learn from you, a bit more about your business, your podcast, and how people can get in touch. Okay, well, I'm off the market. I'm on a non-compete um, when it comes to training, so I'm not taking training or coaching clients. Uh, I am, however, working with founders who are looking to scale up their business. They want to grow by 200% plus per annum uh, compound year on year, and they're willing to take some uncomfortable direction and advice. Um, working with me, I promise you, is rarely a pleasant experience. Uh, no one comes to me for hugs and cuddles. Um, if you want to get hold of me uh, on LinkedIn, just type in Marcus Kauke, and uh, my personalized address is Fractional CRO Tech Scaleups. Um, I'm on Twitter as the underscore Inquisitor, and I have two podcasts. Uh, one is the Inquisitor podcast with Marcus Kauke. If you just type uh, Marcus Kauke podcast, it'll come up. And I have another one specifically for tech companies um, in the 10 to 50 million mark that are looking to achieve hyper growth without loss of control or giving away their stock and uh, responsibility to or, um, control to in investors. And that is called Scale Ups and Hyper Growth. And you can find them on Podbean, Spotify, Apple, Google. Thank you very much, Marcus. And thanks once again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Cheers, sir. And if you enjoyed the show, we interview two business leaders each and every week to provide actionable tips to grow your business, your sales, and make best use of digital marketing. So subscribe to Sam's Business Growth Show on your podcast of choice. And thanks for tuning in. Are you tired of constantly hunting for new customers? You could be missing out on regular inbound opportunities, all because your website isn't on the first page of Google. Perhaps you're already spending lots of money on advertising, but your website is failing to convert all of your hard-earned visitors into a consistent flow of new customers. If you'd like to learn more about our unusual approach that brings idle clients straight to you, connect with Sam Dunning on LinkedIn or book a free 20-minute consultation via webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Subscribe today for more digital marketing, sales and business growth tips from the experts.